Psalm 1. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like a chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, like Growing up, I learned a thing or two about farming. My grandma, that's my dad's mother, who stayed with us, liked to plant trees and she liked to, she liked animals. So she taught us a few things about planting. When she wanted to plant something, she'd call us out and she would dig and sometimes do it alone, but sometimes when we felt like we would go help her, sometimes we just watch. But she was, she would love doing it. She would always regularly plant trees. Even if you come to my building, there's a big mango tree right now, which is planted by her. Uh, of its fruit, where the building people eat, so she herself has not eaten because it was a sapling when she planted it for a long while ago. So I know a thing or two about planting. Those of you may or may not understand uh, about it as well. Uh, if you plant too shallow, the plant will die early. If you grow fast, because it receives all the moisture that it needs to receive, the sunlight it receives. But it will die fast because the roots are not grounded properly. Therefore, she taught us that we dig deep, put it on a firm ground below, and put something as stable stability for down, and then kind of build up. But not too deep, so deep that it takes the it, when the sapling grows, uh, it takes a while for it to reach the surface. It needs strength, so it gives all that it has to reach up. And so, uh, for it to do that, if you put it too low. It might die a halfway. So that's the right depth you need to plant it. And so that's something that I learned. And now, like I said, this tree, it's a big tree. You have squirrels and birds coming and resting on it. You have the building people climbing up and taking the mangoes from it. And so all the birds of the air and animals feed off its fruits. Uh, so this is something that I uh, learned. The main point of today's passage is that the righteous are saved, the God watches over their lives, while the wicked perish. The main point of today's passage is that the righteous are saved, the God watches over their lives, while the wicked perish. The first point we can see from verses 1 to 3 is delight in God and hate the counsel of the world. Delight in God and hate the counsel of the world. And that is from verses 1 to 3. Now this chapter starts with three imperatives or commands. Imperatives are commands. And they're telling us what not to do. They are the negative. Sometimes you have imperatives in the positive which tells you what to do. These are the three imperatives in the negative telling us what not to do. Not to work in the counsel of wicked. Not to stand in the way of sinners and not to sit in the 
seed or mockers or the ESP says stoppers. And under some conditions, it says that this man is blessed. And before we think that he is blessed inwardly of himself, we can see that there are conditions to it. There are three conditions that are put here, which are commands in the negative. And then it is contrasted. Those of you who are joining for the Bible study, all that I'm saying will make sense to you because of the words in the text. If you're looking at the text carefully, you see the words. But, which draws a contrast at verse 2 from what is above. And it draws, the contrast is that he delights in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night, in other words, always, or that his is meditation. The word of God is what he meditates on. Now before we get into all of this, we need to ask one question. Because I think oftentimes when we read this passage and when I read this, I'm thinking, well, I'm not listening to the counsel of wicked. I am not standing in the way of sinners. I am not sitting in the seat of scoffers. So this is not for me. So before we jump to that, the first thing that we need to ask from this text is what is the wicked? If you look at your Bibles, you'll see that the word the wicked has been repeated four times. So before you think that my sermon is on a negative twist or pointing towards sin, the text itself points towards the wicked, making a point here. Though the word starts with the word blessed in the start, which we'll come to later, the word the wicked is repeated four times in verse 1, in verse 4, in verse 5, and in verse 6. So, what is the wicked? This passage shows us the answer. We don't need to go outside the passage, right? The passage itself shows us. There are people who do not delight in God's word, the people who will perish, that is their end, they're scoffers, they're sinners, they're like the chaff, or the wind is going to blow away, means they are not taking root in God's word. So these are some of the things that you see that the wicked are. Who are the wicked then? Who will be destroyed in, in the judgment to come? In other words, the wicked are not Christians. As simple as it is. Now, when you're looking at the text and asking yourself, do I delight in the counsel of the wicked? Your spectrum is outside the local church, outside the body of Christ. If you're listening to the counsel of unbelievers, you're listening to the wicked. Who do we listen to? Do we listen to God's word? Is it our final counsel? Or is the news channels and everything that the news pulls out to you, your final counsel. Is the daily newspaper, the television, is the song that you listen to, is the TV that you watch, the movies you watch, are those the counsels that we learn from? And you know, when I grew up, I loved listening to music. Our family likes listening to music. There's nothing sinful in listening to non-Christian music. And I'm not saying non-Christian music Listening to it is sinful, so that's not where I'm going. But I love listening to it. The latest billboard charts, for those who don't know what billboard charts is, it's okay. Billboard charts are basically the top 10 or 20 music that come up in the world that comes on these charts. 
So there are those would always be on my phone. And so I would love, not all of them, the ones that I like. And so they would always be there. And then afterwards, when I grew up, I loved pop music. I went to hip-hop, I went to rock, uh, I went to rap. Some people don't like rap. So I went to all these different genres. And I, I even like Hindi Bollywood music, that might be strange to some of y'all. But I like these kind of music. And I still like them today, but what happened was, when I saw my life, oftentimes when I would come to a dead end, and the quick knee-jerk reaction would be something that I have learned from these songs that I was listening to. What it taught me about love, what it taught me about sadness, what it taught me about my heart, or how people generally were, how I considered others, all these things flowed out from this knowledge base of what I was pouring into my heart regularly. And so some of us could be like that. That's how I was. It, it was not only with music, it went into movies, it went into friendships, it went into other parts of all of my life. When I started working, I know some of you are working in Mumbai. Mumbai is highly demanding and people around you are always competing with you. Right? And so in the media industry, there's always competition to get, it's not competition to get smaller or bigger salary or something here, it is competition to get the global awards. And so you sit day in and day out, you try to work so that you try and get a global award. And that was something that wanted me to do well or to grow there. And again, that in itself is not sin, but these are the things that are pressed upon your heart. So what do you do? What counsel are we listening to? Do we submit to the system of the world? Or do we filter that through God's word? If we are Christians, not all of the counsel in the world is bad. By the way, I'm not saying the counsel of the world is bad. Because there are elements of truth in the world. But the thing is, if we are taking the counsel of the world, or the wicked, as the text says, without any filter and living it out, then that is the counsel that we are taking in our life. How we use our finances, where we send our children to study, what kind of education we choose, what futures we plan for ourselves and our children. If everything often looks just like the world, then we may be taking counsel from the world. Are we making sacrifices or are we just living like the world? And so the word of God filters the truth out and helps you eliminate sin or anything that is wrong. And if we are not delighting on God's word, this is the opposite, right? The contract that was drawn. He delights in God's word day in and day out. That means I'm not saying read your job and sit and read your Bible the whole time. But you know your Bible so well that if someone tells you something, you know that this is against God's word. Like for example, if I would tell you now listening to non-Christian music is sin, you would know that the Bible does not command that, right? You would know that I'm laying an extra command on you. You should know your Bible so well that you don't take extra burdens on you either from the church or from even outside from the world. Too often we have quickly noticed it in the church, but we are very slow to notice it in the world because our hearts are drawn to the world 
and our hearts actually want to be burdened by the world. Even, for example, the standard of living. I want a standard of living, the clothes I wear, the things I do, a kind of way. Or the things I eat, all of these things. Or how we save. When I learned about the concept of saving and started saving and started reading a lot of things, I started learning how to spend my money. A lot of that made me, in a way, kind of, or rather, taught me to not give much. And so we become stingy, but we look at the Bible and we read the Bible says, give freely. And so we say, hey, I can give little, I'm giving freely. Man. But our hearts are stingy. And our hearts are so evil that quick or lie to us that even in the stinginess, we try to find truth. And we say, okay. On the flip side, we give and we say, I've given, I've made God happy, therefore he loves me. So you know, there's two extremes. We can always polarize to these extremes. Whose counsel are we listening to? There's three uh, verbs used here, the perfect tense. The perfect tense means it's continuous, it's perfect, it's applicable now as well. Uh, three verbs used here, walk, stand and sit. Walk in the council. What is walk? That is to take the path of, right? The word council actually helps you to see that. So to take the path of living your life in a certain way of the wicked. And by the way, wicked sinner and the scoffer are not three different people. They are the same people, the wicked, repersonized as or put in different ways as a sinner and the scoffer to bring in more effect onto the passage. They are the world basically, like I said. So, what does the walk look like? Is it a walk based on God's word? Or is it a walk based on what the world is telling you? What about the stand? What is stand? This is not standing in a train, like I said, or just standing in light. But it is, do you, on what issues do you take stand? Take a stand. Are these issues based on the Bible? Now, in the West, there's a big stand taken, for example, on the issue of race, where people are polarizing to two ends. And in India, we don't have such a big, or rather, we've not addressed it much, the issue of race. But rather, we have other issues which come with where people's background comes from, right? So we have North Indian, South Indian, those kind of differences and then we have uh, the system where you have caste system, the higher caste, the lower caste, which is there, which in, in our circle may not be prevalent, but it is in other places. So where do we take a stand in those things? What about for example the reason you're wearing masks now, right? The virus. Do we polarize too much to one extent? Because the news is are we afraid of it? Do I sit at home and not go anywhere? Or on the flip side of it, I hate everyone who's taking a shot and I say that is sin. Or even to the more extreme, is that the mark of the beast or something like that. So these are extremes that the world is bringing at us. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about obeying, obeying your government? What does the Bible say about where to take a stand? Is this a gospel issue? Is the gospel at stake? So we need to draw lines where it is important, not on every other thing that is where the world is taking a stand at. 
And so that is taking a stand. So some of us may be quick to take stands for the wrong things. What about not taking a stand? Now that's the other flip side, right? Some of us, we don't even take a stand for even the truths of God's word. Someone could be blaspheming God's name in front of you, sharing wrong about Christ with you, and you may be just asked, that's a big wrong. You don't stop the person. Have you been in that kind of situation? You see how broad it is now to actually unload the text and see what it means. And what is sit? Sit is equal to association. Are you associated with unbelievers in constant sitting with them? It is not just be friends with the world, in, in like having unbelieving friends. Because I'm sure all of you all have friends, otherwise, if you go to work and if your office has unbelievers, you'll have no friends. So that's not what the Bible is. Jesus himself has called friend of sin, a friend of sinners. So that's not the other end, but neither the other end where you're just doing life the way they do it as well. But the contrast to all of this is to take pleasure in God's word and to meditate on it day and night. So what do we do? We take all that the world gives us, we undo what is rubbish. So for example, I listen to music like Eminem who gives a lot of bad words. You can lose a number of sounds of bad words he gives in a song. So I do stop listening to songs like that. So you do away with things that are sinful. But the things that are helpful, you take it not directly, you take it through the lens of scripture and then you only take what you need from it. What scripture says is important. And then you undo what is not important. You throw away of it which is not important. And so it says that blessed is the man who is not taking counsel from the world, who is not standing for the issues that the world stands in, and who is not sitting with sinners and sitting along with them or in partnership with sinners. But on the contrary, his delight is in God's law. Do we love God's law? Oftentimes, we, I'm sure all our answers are always yes, right? I always say yes. But when I study my heart, oftentimes, and for example, I skip my, when I skip my reading of God's word often, why do I skip it? I can have many excuses, but behind all that excuses could be that love should be much more. To have that love of God, all the other things that you're doing should be set aside and you can read God's word. Or for example, take for example, considering fully on coming on the Lord's day and gathering with the people. That's a command of scripture, right? Many choose to sit at home and not come to the church or many choose to come late. How do we honor that as well? That is by taking stands in our life as well. By holding on to the truth. <coughs> and so we need to look at all of this and help the word of God feed our hearts. The truths that we proclaim need to be shown in the way we live our lives as well. In action and in the way we continue to live our lives. He is like a tree that is planted by streams of water. Now the word over here, planted, is not the best translation actually. It is actually transplanted. 
which means he is removed and put in a particular place so that he grows well. The Hebrew word put is basically transplanted, which means that's not his natural default position. That's where God has planted him. A good place to see this is in Psalms 92, verse 12. And I'm going to read from verse, uh, Psalm 92, verse 13, but I'm going to read from verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grows like a cedar in Lebanon. Look at verse 13. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourished in the courts of God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. The word planted here is the same Hebrew word planted that is used in Psalm 1. In verse 13, they are planted in the house of the Lord. No tree grows by default in the house of the Lord, do they? <coughs> right? We are all wretched sinners, born in sin. No one grows in the house of the Lord. We are brought into the house of the Lord to live a holy life, to live a life pleasing unto God. That life is a prosperous life that is talking about. The living water is the water of God's word that feeds us, and we will bear fruits of repentance, fruits of the Spirit that the Bible talks about, fruits of living God's law and His commands out. I'm not talking about perfect living, sinless living, but I'm talking about living what the Word of God says. And so that is what the text is talking about. This is how the man who is blessed. Now, even more you know that the reason he's blessed is not only because he's keeping all those commands down, but because he is planted, because God has taken him and put him in a position where he can be blessed. God, if you are a Christian, God has taken you and planted you in his courts, in a place where you can bear fruit, where streams of living water flow, where you receive the food of his word. Are we bearing fruit then according to what the word of God said we should bear? True Christians will bear fruit. They may take a while. They may, the tree may grow slowly. There may be different variations of growth. But it will bear fruit. It will be a tree that grows. It will prosper. None of God's children will fail and go to hell. Now all of that brings us to the second point. The wicked will perish. And we see that from verse 4 to 6. The wicked are not planted. They are all at the surface, right? That's where they are chopped. They are the leftover of the seed. When the seed is cleansed and the covering of that is a chaff that's left over. The wind comes, what is doing? The sin of the world. The drawings of the world, the attractions of the world, and it blows it away, blows it away into its own sinfulness. Our burden in our heart should be that we should be drawn to the truth of God's word, that we hate sin, and that we are counted amongst the righteous, not as the wicked, because the wicked, the Bible says, will not stand on the day of judgment. Neither will they be in the assembly of the righteous. You know, we're looking at church membership, we're looking at what is a healthy church, and who will be a member of a church. 
local church, if sinners cannot be, or the wicked cannot be people in the, in the assembly of the righteous in heaven, how can there be assembly of the righteous here on earth? Unbelievers cannot be part of the local church. They can attend the church, but they cannot be part of the local church. They are not the body of Christ. There's a clear separation if you look in heaven and on here on earth from sinners and those who are righteous. If you are righteous, you need to see that clear separation. When I'm saying righteous, I'm not talking about inherent righteousness, but the righteousness that has been put on us by the work of Christ. It is Christ's righteousness that perfects us. Even us being planted is because of the work of Christ, right? His death, his atonement, his taking on the wrath that was simply poured on us has planted us in the house of God. And therefore we have been counted as righteous. Isn't that beautiful? We should be blown away like chaff, but God has taken us and planted us in his kingdom, in the house of God. Planted us where we receive water. He's not just planted us and left us by the stream, but the stream is flowing. The stream of God's word comes to give us life. And that stream should overflow from us. You know, that should help a tree bear fruit, and what happens? It drops to the ground and it plants more. Does our life look like that? Are we affecting? Is discipleship a part of our life? Am I pouring into the lives of others? Or has the world taught me that this is the free time you have, just keep it for your family, don't, don't spend time. That's okay. No. On Wednesday you attend a Bible study and on Sunday you go to church. More than enough. You don't need to pour into others' lives. You don't need to spend life for anyone else. How do we then pour out, even when we are worn out after working, I think we need to ask ourselves, why do I work? I asked that question a while back for myself because I was caught in the rat race of the world. Why do I work? We work not to become rich for ourselves. We work so that the money that we can receive is used for God's kingdom and for His glory. That's the only reason you work. And if you're married, you're a man, you work so that you can provide for your house. That's the only the reason you work. But even the provision of your house comes all under God's sovereign plan for you, that is to provide for his kingdom, to be there for his kingdom. And so we should see that in our lives, in each other's lives. And we can see a clear separation. The world lives for themselves. Christians do not live for themselves. If you're a Christian, you're saying, I am Christ's life. What does Christ do? He did not keep himself for himself, right? Man, it seems illogical for me to die. I need to be reasonable. I cannot go on the cross right now. I die, then who will save them? I need to. Jesus to have said that, right, at the cross. What was the most reasonable thing for him to do? To save his life, to keep itself. He was God, to sit as God of heaven. To not come for mere human beings who are wretched and who are rejecting him and who hate him. But he came still and he did this contrary. To what the world would say. So the righteous here are known by God. The world 
known here is, I'm sure you all have heard this from me many times, is an intimate knowing. It's not just cognitive knowledge, which is God knows the way to the wicked as well, right? But it says over here, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. Of course he knows the way of the wicked. When he means he knows the way of the righteous, means it's a personal knowing. And this is the plant that he's taken, which was supposed to be dead, planted and grafted in his kingdom, now which is growing. He knows it. He chose that plant and he planted it. He knows you if you are a Christian. He chose you and he planted you. And he knows your life. It is annoying not just which is cognitive, but annoying which is his heart comes for you. Because he knew you, that's why he put he died on the cross for you and me. This knowing is a knowing of love. It is similar to before you were born in your mother's womb, I knew you. I set you apart. My love was set upon you before you were born in your mother's womb. That's why I set you apart. That is exactly what's happening here in Psalm 1. And so the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And then you see the contrast. But the wicked will perish. Now this, this scripture is trying to show us something very important. See the first word it starts with? Blessed. And the last word it ends with? Perish. You can look at your Bibles and see it. The first word it starts with is blessed is the man. Blessed. And it ends with perish. God in this word through the person who wrote it sovereignly is showing us two contrasts that God loves his people and he calls them blessed. He plants them in his kingdom and he helps them grow. But if you reject him, if you turn away from him, if you continue in sin, if you say that I do not need you, if you continue to be a hypocrite, then you will perish. And the end is judgment. These are two truths of scripture, the two truths that we must come to terms with. And so if we do not know Christ, or we know Christ, but we do not follow him the way the word, word of God calls us to follow him. If we are an unrepentant sin, that means people have confirmed with us, but we do not feel it is sin. Then the judgment of Christ, when it comes and when we die and stand before him, then we will have to face his judgment and we will be sent to hell for eternal condemnation. But if we are righteous, that is because of the righteousness of Christ, we will glory with him forever. We will enjoy in his place forever. The one who saves here is Christ, and the one who brings judgment here is Christ as well. Let us run to him and be saved from him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our Savior. Lord, we thank you that you have chosen us and called us as your own. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us with the blood of Christ, that you have grafted us in your kingdom, that you have planted us in your kingdom to prosper, not prosper according to the world is talking about, but prosper in what the text is saying, prosper in righteousness, 
gospel holiness according to the holy righteousness of Christ Jesus as is imputed to us. Help us to run to you because of this. Help us not to listen to the world. Help us not to listen to the counsels of the world. But help us to stand in your courts. To long to stand in your courts and worship you forever. God, if any of us do not love you, if any of our hearts are drawn towards sin, if any of us are sinning continuously and hating your truth, convict us. Draw us to the holiness of your word, O God. Draw us to your Son, Jesus. And help us to come to you in repentance. Convict our hearts of sin. Convict our hearts of holiness and righteousness and truth. For the glory of your name. Lord, even as we go back to sleep, help us to remind one another, care for one another, that you have called us to be a plant, that trees that are planted in your kingdom, that are growing below, along the banks of the river, Lord. And I pray that you'll help us to hold our to this truth. Amen. Yeah.